And we are going to start a series of messages today about a little church that started very uh, subversively, very nonchalantly, if you will, and, and has taken root in a city that is still around in, in Greece. And I am excited about this series, and I think that the Lord has directed me to this series um, by his hand. It's a strange name, like I said, but it's going to make sense in a few moments. And here's what we've got to do. This is for, this is for black belt level Bible readers. Yeah, Okay. We got one, I like it, amen, and she's sitting in the front row where they belong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black belt level Bible readers, are any of you in the house? Not so confident, okay. How about brown belt level? Red, yellow, white? Lord help you. What we've gotta do is we've gotta go to 1 Thessalonians, like this, and here's what you gotta do. You gotta go to two portions of scripture today. That's why I say black belt. So on my Bible, and most Bibles come with these things installed. See that thing right there? That is called a stringy dingy. The Greek term is stringos dilos. And what you do is you take that and you put that at First Thessalonians, just like I have done there. And then you take your fingers and you flip to Acts chapter 17. Is this too much for you? Am I going too fast? So string, stringy dingies at 1 Thessalonians, fingers or Bibles open to Acts 17. Because these two chapters go together. As we start a series, what happened in Thessalonica, part one, title of the message, I'm in. I'm in. Are you in? Somebody say, I'm in. <laughs> and we're gonna look at one verse, as we start a series on the, on the book, uh, First Thessalonians on a book, it's actually a letter. Um, it's a letter from Paul the Apostle. Some of you are very familiar with the Bible. Some of you are brand new to the Bible. Let me explain it for everybody. When Christianity started, Jesus rose again and the Holy Spirit fell on the church 40 days later, 50 days later actually, and um, the church began to spread across the Mediterranean world, the Middle East, starting in what is now Israel and what was then Israel, and uh, spread around the Mediterranean through a guy named Paul. But Paul, before he was Paul, was named Saul. Saul was an avid opponent of Christianity. Jesus came down, blinded him, and turned him around, opened his eyes, and sent him on a gospel, God-ordained, Holy Spirit-filled mission to spread the message of Jesus, the very message <clears throat> that he wanted to stop Jesus signed him up to serve. That's how it works, by the way. God gets a hold of you. And he was turned around and started spreading the word of God all over the world. And one of the places that he comes to is a little, little, little town, not a little town, actually a big metropolitan city, the capital of the formerly known empire Macedonia, Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica was a free city in the Roman Empire. That meant that they did not have to pay Roman Empire taxes. The reason why they didn't have to pay Roman Empire taxes is because they sided with Octavian, when Octavian and Julius Caesar and all that thing was going down, they sided with the guy who actually won. And how many know that taxation is a matter of what political side wins? You know what I'm talking about? So they were on the right side at the right time, so they got tax exemption and they were free city, but they were an immoral city. And Paul goes to that city because it had a great influence over the entire region of Macedonia and he starts the church in that city called Thessalonica. And what happened there is significant for what's happening here, believe it or not. 
What happened 2,000 years ago there is significant for what's happening here. And a little while later, after he leaves Thessalonica, he decides to write a letter to this little fledgling church. And it wasn't actually fledgling. Actually, it was thriving. And he's writing to the church um, not to correct things, not to rebuke them or talk down to them or lecture them. He's writing to them to thank them. He's encouraged by what God is doing in their lives. And I think that's why the Lord led me to Thessalonians now. Because I want to say that what they're going through or what they went through, we're kind of going through. And I want you to hear me say this as your pastor in every location, lean in right here. I want to say, I am so thankful for you. I really appreciate being your pastor. And I don't mean this lightly, and I'm not just puffing you up. I have been through some tough seasons in this church. This is not one of them. This is one of the best seasons we've ever experienced as a church. We've got growth at every location. We got salvations at every location, baptisms at every location. And God is moving in miraculous ways. I got some news for you, some stats for you. In 2022, we saw 1,000 people saved and 100 people baptized. That's not what you're supposed to clap at right now. Here, here's where we're updated now. Updated numbers for 2023. Only in 2023 so far, we are only two and a half months in, and we have 361 salvations, and check this out, 50 baptisms at all locations. <laughs> Praise God for you. And to those of you who have gone through the walls of baptism, all I got to say is amen. And if those of you are on the fence about it, stop getting fence divided in your mind. Okay, hop it, yeah, jump off the fence. It's gotta hurt after a while. Get through the waters of baptism, you say. I don't know if I'm ready, you're never ready. If you're waiting till you're ready, you're gonna wait until Jesus comes again, or you die. So don't wait, do it by faith, amen? Anyway, 50 baptisms, we're on track for 200 plus baptisms this year. God is moving. We also started something called Fast Monday. Some of you are aware of this, some of you do it with us, and some of you um, say you do it and then don't do it. <laughs> and then some of you don't even try. And I want to talk to the people who are not trying because God is showing up at what we, we call First Tuesday. First Tuesday happens after Fast Monday. First Tuesday of every month, we have a service on Tuesday night here and in uh, Apollo Beach, Florida. We've had two so far this year, and we have fasted before both, and we're gonna do this seven more times this year, fasting all day Monday before First Tuesday. Showing up, God is showing up. We're, we're going after God this year in a really powerful way. We don't fast to earn things from God. We fast to experience his presence. And um, so I got some reports from this past First Tuesday after our first, second First Monday, and all these names are so confusing, but just stay with me. God is showing up and healing people. Uh, here in the North Attleboro location, we had a lady come down for healing at the end because the message was about signs and wonders and miracles. And that was the theme for that night. 
and she prayed for God to heal her. I said at the end of the service, pray, ask God to heal you. She did, she lifted her hands. She said she felt heat go through her body. She was in scheduled for a hip replacement surgery. She was scheduled for a hip replacement surgery and at the altar right here, right here, she prayed and she felt heat go right through her body and felt like a lightning power strike go right down to the bottoms of her feet. And she got a brand new hip, not from the doctor, from, but from her father, amen somebody. Not from the doctor, but from her father, praise the Lord. No hip surgery required. In Apollo Beach, we've got a guy, he's been there almost since the beginning, he and his lovely wife, they're cowboy fans, we'll forgive them for that, but nonetheless, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer and he was scheduled for a doctor's appointment on Thursday after First Tuesday. Came to First Tuesday in Apollo Beach, came to the altar, got totally healed, went back to the doctor. The doctor did a scan, said, I don't know what to say, it's gone, no surgery, no treatment required. That's happening now. This is, and we're gonna put videos together to have them tell their story because I want you to understand that God is moving at Waters Church like we've never seen before. God is saving people like we've never seen before. People are stepping up and serving like we've never seen before. And I, I wanna just say, some of you still, you're, you're just watching it. It's time to jump onto the field and participate in it because you might miss the best year we've ever had as a church. And I want to just say that I'm thankful for the move of God at our church. My son even said it. My son's 18. He's leading Apollo Beach's youth ministry. He's the youth director at Apollo Beach, 18 years old. I'm so thrilled about that. But even he said it to me on Thursday. We were in a conversation. He said, Tim. Tim. He said, Dad. <laughs> he said, Dad. If he said, Tim, I'd be like, Psh. He said, Dad. <laughs> Dad, I can see it on the screen when I watch from Apollo Beach. I can see it. There's a spirit alive in our church. Man, that is the best, the best words I've ever heard from an 18-year-old boy to see the Holy Spirit at work in the church. Amen? So this is so good. Cheryl was here for the women's breakfast. I heard it went really well. Yeah, I got some guys clapping for that. All right. You might have gotten a better wife back. She was really blown away by all the young women that had shown up, and that's really great. We've got a lot of young people at Waters Church, and we aim our church for you, by the way. Our church is for you, thus the hoodie, okay? <laughs> Come as you are, relax, don't dress up, it's fine, right? The music is for you. The style is for you, young people. Old people who put up with the young style, thank you, because we need your money to pay for this, okay? And I just wanna say thank you, thank you. And this is why we're at First Thessalonians, because it's a letter of thanks. Paul is, he is overwhelmed by the reports that he's heard from Thessalonica. Let me tell you why he needed this to happen in his life. Thessalonica, ancient city in ancient Greece, still around, we'll get there. It was a very pagan city, it was an immoral city. They have done archaeological digs up to this day in modern day, what is now Thessaloniki. They changed the A for the A for the I. Um, <clears throat> they found that the homes in this city had, in the ancient city, had no windows. And the reason why is because the crime rate was through the roof in ancient Thessalonica. Um, by the way, when a country or a city gets more pagan, you get more crime. 
And so they also have done a lot of digging and they found on the walls of the city, both in the public and private spaces, they found pornographic writings and drawings in ancient ways on the walls of the homes and the city streets. And so pornography, sexual immorality flooded this city. And you look at these, just those two facts alone and you say, yep, we can relate. It was a hostile city. Somebody say hostile. It was a hostile, hateful city. It was filled with anger. And yet it was a very important city in the ancient world. Uh, people had a lot of free time. They didn't have to pay, like I said, Roman taxes, so they had a lot of free time. So obviously this place was, you know, bored. And so wherever there's boredom and there's no, you know, real responsibility, people cast off restraint and they go crazy. That's what's happening right now in America. So what's happening right now in the world in many respects. Our cities are very unsafe. Uh, pornography is flooding our homes and our private spaces and our public spaces. And there's crime and there's craziness. And, and we look at it and we say, what's going on? And what's going on is that people need Jesus. People need Christ. And this is why Paul goes to the city to bring Christ. And I want to look at the narrative of Acts chapter 17 because this is what tells us the story of what happened in Thessalonica. What happened was amazing. It says this in chapter 1, if you're there, Acts 17, but they'll be up on the screen as well. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, just back up in the text just one second for me, if you would. Uh, chapter 16 in Acts, Paul is in Philippi. In Philippi, he reaches a woman named Lydia with the gospel. She's a dealer of purple. She's a very wealthy woman, and she opens the, her house to hit Paul and the, um, the, the, his associates, and they have a church there. Then he goes out into the streets to, to tell people about Jesus, and he casts the demon out of a young girl who's a slave to her masters, and she's a fortune teller, and when she loses the power of fortune telling because the demon has been cast out of her, the authorities arrest Paul and Silas, throw them in prison. Some of you know this story. It's a great Sunday school story. Paul and Silas are in the bellows of the prison. They are, their feet are in the stocks. They are suffering. They have, also, they have also been whipped with rods and then put in the prison. And they're not whining about their problems or crying about their problems. They're singing to God. When they sing, an earthquake happens and the chains fall off and the stocks break open and every prisoner is set free. And the Philippian jailer gets saved. It's a powerful story, but Paul has to leave the this, this city. And he goes from that city where he was rejected and, and hostily treated to the city of Thessalonica. And, and this is 100 miles away. And this is three days later. And I just want you to see something here before we go any further. Paul has been uh, terribly treated in Philippi and, 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 and miraculously delivered from prison and then goes to Thessalonica 100 miles away over a three-day journey. In the ancient world, you traveled about 30, hour, 30 miles a day. And he's not giving up. After all of his hostility and all of his hardship, this is an amazing testimony to the power of God in somebody's life. This is why you want the Holy Spirit to fill you because when the enemy comes at you, you won't give up if God is in you. Some of you give up on at least little things. The Dunkin' Donuts lady gets your order wrong. You're like, oh, there's no God. Somebody says something about your hair. You, you, you leave church for a month. Somebody says, says something nasty about you at church. You're like, that's it, I'm done with Christianity. Man, you gotta press on in spite of what you're going through. In Christianity 2023, we gotta put our big boy pants on and walk strong forwardly instead of giving up so easily. Anyway, he went in, verse two, 
as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So Paul was there for how long? Was it on the screen? You have your Bibles open? Three Sabbath days, which makes about how long? Three weeks. Paul was there for? Oh, this is a talkback church. Come on, give it to me now. One, two, three. Paul was there for? There we go. Okay, three weeks. And then look what happens in three weeks' time. Verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many. How many? A great many. Of devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women. So a church is born in how long? Three weeks. This is what happened in Thessalonica. Verse five. But the Jews were jealous and taking some of wicked men of the rabble. <laughs> I find this funny. They go out to the streets and find some Antifa members. That's what they did. They're like, okay, you can riot. Come with us. We want to get this guy out of here. They formed him up. I love what the King James Version says here. It says, lewd fellows of a baser sort. Lewd fellows of a baser sort. And they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where Paul was staying. To bring them out to the crowd. So a riot happens. A mob forms. They are attacked. For what? Being Christians. Following Jesus. Preaching Christ. And then it says, it gets worse, verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, I always love that little statement right there. They have turned the world upside down. Wrong. The world already is upside down. Christianity and God and the truth of Jesus turn it right side up. But when you're so used to being upside down, right side up feels funny. That's where we are. That's where we are right now. Up is down, black is white, left is right. Males become females. Nuts, crazy, right? The world is upside down. And it says this, and Jason has received them and they are all acting against Caesar, saying there's another King Jesus. The charge, ridiculous. They're attacked, they're brought before the authorities, riot, all this stuff. Paul, I mean, eventually Jason just pays a bond. He pays the bond to get out of jail or get away from this riot. And he's released, and then it says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So, so he has to leave the city because Paul realizes something. If I stay here any longer, it's going to be danger for the church that just started in how long? Three weeks. So he leaves, and he goes to an off-beaten, off the, be off the main highway, the Via Ignatius that went through the Roman Empire. He went off that uh, highway about 30 miles in to a place called Berea. And when he gets to Berea, Paul does what Paul always does. He goes and he preaches in the gospel about Jesus. And people get saved again, because whenever you preach the gospel of Jesus, people's hearts get changed. So, so he's got people getting saved in now Berea, off the beaten path, backwards kind of town. But look what happens just three verses later in verse 13. But when the Jews, from where? Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. How many know Antifa likes to travel? <laughs> so they go 30 miles off the beaten path to chase down Paul in another town. You know your town is filled with hate 
when they don't just cast people out of their town, they cast people out of other towns. There's a hostile environment. And Paul has to leave now, and I want you to count with me. He's left Philippi because of a false imprisonment and beating. He's had to leave Thessalonica because of a a riotous mob has chased him out of the town. And now he has to leave Berea. That's number three. And he he goes from Berea to a place called Athens. And I'm going to summarize now, if you don't mind, Acts chapter 17 and 18. He goes to Athens. This is a very intellectual city, a very philosophical city. And he goes to this place called the Areopagus where everybody just likes to philosophize all day. And he tells them about Jesus. And he talks about this altar to an unknown God. And he says, the unknown God that you're worshiping is the the God who made heaven and earth. And he tells them. And the Bible says that in Athens, they just kind of laugh at Paul. They scorn. They call him a babbler. They they mock and ridicule him. So that's number four in a row that he's been reviled and mocked and ridiculed and he has to leave Athens but before he leaves Athens here's what he does he takes Timothy and Silas his associates Silas who was in prison with him in Philippi and he sends them back to Thessalonica to check on the church and how it's going there because again he was only there for three weeks so he leaves Athens they go back to Thessalonica and Paul shows up in Corinth now, Corinth is significant because in your Bibles, if you just flip back a couple of pages, you'll see there's two books to the, to the Corinthians because Paul spent a year and a half there. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, when I arrived to you, when I arrived in Corinth, I came, and this is what he says, these are his words, um, in weakness, in fear, and trembling. Why? Well, you get chased out of four straight towns, that's how you'd arrive too at the fifth one. And he's done, kind of. He, he's spent. His mind is fried. He's tired of looking over his shoulder and wondering, where is going to come next? And he preaches in Corinth, and, and here's what it says, uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 6. When they in Corinth opposed and reviled him, look at this, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am going now only to the Gentiles. And the reason why is because Paul was tired of getting chased and hated and ridiculed for preaching truth. And I can say this as a pastor that I've been there. It gets tough. It gets hard. There are moments where you just want to give up, throw in the towel. And I'm sure some of you have been there with your own Christian faith. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to right, walk with Jesus. You're trying to be obedient to him. And you get flack and you get hate and you get hostility in return. And sometimes you're just like, I've had enough. You want to just shake off your garments. That's, that's what Jesus said, actually. When people don't listen, you just do this. Just brush the dust off your feet and move on. And Paul says, I am done. And then you got to feel here that after being ridiculed, mocked, and chased out of five straight towns, you'd probably be there too. But how many know that God shows up in our most needful places? And that's exactly what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 18. Two things happen when he's about ready to give up. Look what it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, I love this, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Oh, I love when God shows up in the dark moments, don't you? Paul is like, I'm sick and tired of doing this. I am really, really sick of being chased and hated and all this. 
And God just comes and says, don't worry. I got you, and I got people for you to reach with the gospel. That's the first thing that he gets to get comforted in the midst of his hardship. Look at what happens, though. Secondly, Timothy and Silas, who he sent to Thessalonica to check on them, come back with a report of what's happened in Thessalonica since he left after being there for only three weeks. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And <clears throat> what I think is amazing about this moment is that Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, um, I didn't expect this. I did not expect that you would have so much faith and so much concern for me and so much love for me and be thinking about me because after all, I was only there for three weeks and a church was born in three weeks. And the reason why I bring all this up is because that, my friends, is a testimony to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul the apostle preaches for three Sabbaths. A church is planted and it lasts not just until Paul is in Corinth. It has lasted to this very day, 2,000 years later. And the modern city in Greece called Thessaloniki is 80 to 90% Christian. 2,000 years later. Now, you know, I know, qualifier. Maybe a lot of that is culturally Christian. I get it. But the pagan revelry and all that kind of nonsense and the riotous living and the hate and hostility is gone and hasn't been there since Paul planted the gospel there. And I believe that what happened in Thessalonica has the potential to happen anywhere when we preach the name of Jesus, even in the midst of hostility. Some of you are there, some of you see it, some of you can watch what's going on in our country and say, yeah, that's where we are, Pastor. We're in that place where hostility is ramping up against Christianity. Some of you have had been forced, you've been forced to go to indoctrination programming at your job to learn how to think like the machine wants you to think. Some of you are wondering, how come every belief on the planet is acceptable and included except mine? How many know that the term inclusivity is actually not very inclusive of faith in Christ, of your ideas, of what God has done in your life? You gotta toe the line, you gotta wear the ribbon, you gotta be in lockstep with the mantras of our age or you will be castigated and vilified and hated on. And right now, we need a faith that lasts in the midst of the hostility. It's gotten so bad that even Dwight Schrute is taking notice. Rain Wilson, who played Dwight Schrute on The Office, he put out a tweet, kind of went viral this past week. Here was the tweet that he put. He said, I do think there is an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. As soon as the David character in The Last of Us started reading from the Bible, I knew he was going to be a horrific villain. Could there be a Bible-reading preacher on a show who's actually loving and kind? Kind of amazing when Dwight sees it. And he is no Christian. Rain Wilson, not a Christian at all. But even he can see, why is it always that the bad guy has to be a Bible thumper? Who's the warden in the Shawshank Redemption? He's a Bible thumper. I mean, I could give you case after case after case. 
of all these evil villains in Hollywood and entertainment that have been, have been you know, caricatured as Christians. And it's game on, it's fine, open season. And you know what, let me just play a little bit of the other side, maybe, and this, I will concede this. Maybe that's because these people have met a lot of bad Christians. Maybe we have something to do with that. You know, we, we can be awful. We're awful because we know we need Jesus. I mean, that's what brought us to Jesus, right? Because we found out we were awful. And so sometimes I'm saying, people say, Christians are so awful. It's like, yep, that's why, that's why they came to Jesus. But anyway, the hostility, the amped up animosity. This is what Thessalonica had. This is what happened in their lives. And I believe that it doesn't matter what is happening in the world and what they're saying about us, I believe all that matters is that we know who we are as God's people in our day because we are on his side and he is with us. And it's not us versus the world, it's us for the world in the name of Jesus. And so how are we gonna have faith in a hostile world? I got three points and then we're done. Number one, I want you to write it down. I am in the church. Write this down. I am in the church. The church, I'm in, what? The church. Now, this brings me to our first text in First Thessalonians, and we're only covering one verse in the first part of this series, which means that this series will end somewhere around 2029. <laughs> um, so Paul, it says this, this is how he opens the book. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church, underline church to the church of the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians. Um, this is significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, every other letter that Paul writes, and he writes about a third of the New Testament. He writes Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians. He writes to Timothy, Titus. He writes all these letters. Every other time he writes to a church, when he opens his greeting, he says, to the saints in wherever, in Philippi, in Ephesus, in the, the saints in, the saints in Corinth, the saints in... Here he says to the church, why? Because if you're going to maintain faith in a hostile culture, you're gonna to have to be part of a church. You gotta get away from individualized Christianity. Uh, you gotta get away from isolated Christianity. You need to be in the church. The church is a community. The church is a body, it's a family. It's, it's a group of people who are connected to Christ together, and I'm gonna just say as clearly as I can, you are on your own if you don't connect to a church, and it's not a good place to be. You are gonna fail, you are gonna struggle, you are gonna feel miserable and lonely, and I just wanna let you know the reason why is because that's not how God programmed it to work. You gotta be a part of the church. The body of believers, the family of God, the people that he has called out by his own name. I'm in the church. And Christians who like to play it this way, I'm, I can do church on my own, I can do church in my house, baloney. I met a guy a couple of weeks ago. I was inviting him to our church. He's like, you know, I'm a born again Christian. I'm like, okay, where's your church? No, no, I don't have one. What? You, you, you should have one. No, no, we do church. I do. I said, okay, let me ask you this question. Who other than you 
benefits from your Christianity. And he said, well, you got a point there. But the hostility, that's the, the attitude is, I can do it on my own. I got, I got podcasts, and I've got worship music on my iPhone. I do iChurch. There's no such thing as iChurch. The church is a body, it's a family. And some of you have come to Waters Church and this is what you do. You just dip your toes in. Is it cold? Is it warm? I don't know if I want to jump in all the way. And you'll never experience the fullness of the Lord if you do that for the rest of your life. You got to jump in. I owe everything that I have to this church. I started working at this church in 1998. I found my wife at this church. I've gotten my kids raised up in this church. My best friends belong to this church. Some of you gotta stop the church hopping, church shopping. I'm gonna go to this church because it's got a great youth program, and then I'm gonna go to this church because it's got a great kids program, and then I'm gonna go to this church because it's got a great singles program, and I'm gonna go to this church because it's got divorce care, and I'm gonna go to this church because it's got depression care, and I'm gonna go to this church. It's like, stop it! You are a consumer Christian. You're looking for spiritual BJs. Spiritual, sorry, Costco. Sam's Club. Because that doesn't re resonate with Florida. They don't know what BJ's is. It's, a, it's Sam's Club for New Englanders, okay? It's a, so you're, you're just shopping. You're at Walmart. The church is not a dispenser of religious goods to help you. You are the church, and you are here for the world. Yeah. Spiritual consumerism has got to go. It, it, it doesn't help you. It's selfish. And it's not what God programmed you for. What it, the words, too, uh, to the church, and, and these are the, the first words of First Thessalonians, and they're significant for a second reason. Almost every Bible commentator says that First Thessalonians was the first book of the New Testament ever written. What's the first book in the New Testament? Matthew, but it wasn't written first. Matthew was written about 60 AD. First Thessalonians was written about 50 AD. Almost every Bible commentator and scholar believes that this was the first penned text of the New Testament. Oh, side note, interesting note, maybe this is interesting, I don't know. The first book in the Old Testament is? Genesis. Uh, not the first book written. The first book written was Job. Anyway, there's food for that. Next Jeopardy question, you'll nail it. Um, first Thessalonians. So what this means is, listen to this. these are the first words that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written for God's new covenant people. And when he addresses his new covenant people, the first words are to the church. Before there was, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Before there was, God works all things together for good. Before there was, uh, God so loved the world that he gave, before there was any of that written, there was to the church. First things first, you're part of a family. In fact, some of your, some of your favorite uh, life verses, if you would, you know, from the epistles of Paul, many of them from the epistles of Paul, you understand that the you, Y-O-U, in the, in the verse is actually plural, not singular. Let me give you an example. Philippians chapter one, verse six, and I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We love that. That's a life verse. That's a coffee cup verse. That's my promise from God. 
He started a work in me, and me's going to be done when Jesus comes. Okay, wait, the you is plural, because he's not writing to an individual, he's writing to a church. So here's how you apply that verse. Are you ready? To the extent that I belong to a church, God is going to complete the work that he began in my church until Jesus comes again. God's got a work to complete in you, and you're never going to experience it if you don't sink yourself and jump into the pool of the church. You got to look at how it reads, because it's not, Jesus did not call Peter only. He called Peter and Andrew, James and John, and other disciples. He creates a community. By the, word, by the way, the word church in the Bible in, in Greek is ekklesia. That's the Greek word for church, ekklesia. It's a two-part word, ek, meaning out, and kaleo, meaning called. You are called out ones. That's what you are. It is also a political term. Now, this is interesting. It is a political term. And what it was in the Greek world, the ancient world, an ecclesia was a group of people in the, in the city would realize that the city was going poorly. Things were going poorly in the city. So they would call for an ecclesia and they would call out certain members of the community and they would go to a private place and meet about the problems of the city and they would address those problems and they would come back and apply the application to solve the problems. That's what an ecclesia was. So the, the church is absolutely a political movement meant to instill political truth into political places. I say that because some people say, don't get political. Everything is political. Don't get political is a euphemism for please shut up, we don't want to hear truth. That's what that means. So anyway, ecclesia, called out ones. That's what the church is. The church is called out by Jesus from the world. And I want you to write this down so I know you're getting it. The church, ecclesia, is an assembly of people. God is called out of the world to change the world. By the way, the New Testament also translates ecclesia, the, the word for church, as assembly on a regular basis. So a church is not a building. A church, this building and all of our buildings are not churches. They're just buildings. This right now is the church because we are assembled. Marvel's assembled. Oh no, Avengers. Avengers assemble. But we are spiritual Avengers. And we are assembled as the church, which means that if we do not assemble, hello, we are not the church. To all the morons who thought they could have church in their homes during COVID lockdowns, wrong. You're not the church unless you're assembled. And yes, God absolutely requires us to assemble. Never, ever again. We're not the church if we don't get in the church. We've got to come together. You have my permission to struggle with your faith and depression and sickness and loneliness if you don't assemble. And some of you say, well, I, I don't want to, I've been hurt by the church. Welcome to the club. What do you think? What do you think? We haven't been hurt by the church? Life is filled with hurts. That's why you get forgiveness and grace, and you share it with others. If you wanna hold up all your hurts, put them in a little backpack and carry your backpack of hurts all the way around your life. I'm sorry, I can't be with you, I've got hurts. I'm sorry, I can't go out tonight, I've got hurts. I've got a stew about my hurts. You get home and you put all your hurts into a little stew and you drink them back up again. Oh, my hurts, so all the people that have hurt me. What a lonely, miserable, pathetic life. 
you got to come to the cross. You got to come to the cross. You got to come to Jesus and you got to look at his hands and look at his feet and look at his side and see the holes and the nails that were pierced in his hands and feet for your hurts against him. <laughs> Jesus is committed to building the church. Here's a promise scripture from Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said, uh, you're Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates, my assembly, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? The church. It's, that's, not, that's not just you individually out there with your eye music and your eye church. That's you belonging to a body of believers. That's what God is committed in Christ Jesus to building. Jesus is committed to building the assembly. So get in it. Be committed to it. Get, if you're not in a life group yet, get into a life group. If you're in a life group that you don't like, get out of that one, get into another one. That's totally fine. Life is too short to be miserable in life group. So get around people that you know and you like who love Jesus because they will be there for you. You gotta have people around you who help you and strengthen you. How does Paul describe it in 1 Timothy 3.14? I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household. Somebody say household. Household of God, which is the church. The church is a family. We're a household, we're a family. How many know families hurt each other? Families bug each other. But you have two options. Put up with it or be lonely. I'll put up with it. I gotta put up with things in my family at home. You gotta put up with things in your family at home. You gotta put up with things at the church. You can't agree with everything. There's nothing you can always, there's no other human being on the planet with whom you can always agree. Heaven's sakes, I don't even agree with half of the stuff I think. You gotta move on past that and agree about the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ is here to save sinners. And if we can get our act together and work together and put our differences aside and unite around his name, we could change the world. We could turn the world right side up. I thank God from my church. I had an accident last week. Did you hear about this? Oh, you did. <laughs> well, news spreads. You probably watched the deep end, right? So I was... I had a bike accident. Yes, I Joe Biden did. Yes. <laughs> but it wasn't a regular bike. It was an e-bike. And I was riding my e-bike at 30 miles an hour. Room, room. Or a ving, ving. And um, <clears throat> I hit a curb and the bike went that way and my body went that way. And I found out that when you are flying through the air at 30 miles an hour, it's very hard to brace yourself. And so my face met the pavement. I got a little scar right here. Yes, don't worry, my good looks will be back. Anyway, <laughs> I get knocked, you know, not unconscious, but concussion. I'm like delirious. And the next two hours felt like five minutes. I called my wife. I said, I don't, I don't know what happened. I just, it's bad. And I called somebody else from the church down in Apollo Beach. They come, they pick me up. They bring me to the hospital. And all I can remember for those first five, what it felt like five minutes was two hours. But all I kept remembering was people kept saying, you've already asked me that five times. But again, it felt like five minutes. News spreads through the church, the, you know, the, the, the grapevine, the good grapevine, the prayer vine. And the elders go to pray for me. And I got to tell you, this is God's honest truth. Two hours in to the stay at the hospital, all my faculties came back. And they sewed me up up here. And, and uh, I suddenly had the time slow down again. And I was, I was back. I knew I could feel and think and everything was rightly ordered again. I could have left the hospital, but they were over, they, they overdo it. 
and it kept me in overnight. And anyway, but the fact of the matter is this, that I had an accident, but I also had a church. I had a, I had a hardship, but I also had a household. Some of you have got to get there because you're going to get the hardship. <laughs> Hardships are no respecter of persons. Hardship doesn't check if you have a family to rely on. It just shows up and does its thing. And if you don't prepare yourself for the family, you're going to suffer and struggle. I thank God for the church that prayed for me, and I felt their prayers, and I had healing come into my body at the right time. When I got a household, I can go through the hardship. When I got a church, I can go through the crisis. Some of you got to get a family around you, believers, more than just staying, uh, sitting and looking at me. You got to be in a life group and move forward in faith. Number two, if you're taking notes, I'm in God. So I'm not just in the church, but I'm in God. Uh, if you're going to have faith in a hostile world, you, you, you got to have a faith that believes I am in God. The word in, circle it. Circle it, because it's a huge preposition in 1 Thessalonians 1.1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God. In God. I love that. He doesn't say you're walking with God. He doesn't say you're following Jesus. He says you're in God. And I want you to see this, because prepositions are very important. They, they define relationship. Prepositions. You're beside, above, below, with, in front of, behind. Those are prepositions, right? Here's what you need to see. There's a sphere and you're in it, and the sphere is God. And he's not just ahead of you, he's behind you, he's on the right, he's on the left, he's above you, and he's behind, below you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He surrounds you. I love that song, when, I'm, when I feel surrounded, I know I'm surrounded by you. That's what it means to be in God. Colossians 3, 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Where? In God. I am in God. You ever think about how your life can change depending on what you're in? I can run 13 miles an hour. The reason why I know that is because there was a sign that measured miles per hour and I ran by it one day. <laughs> but if I get into my e-bike, I can go 30 miles an hour. If I get into a car, I can go much, much faster. I can jump, oh, I don't know, maybe about that high. But if I get into a plane, I can get 35,000 feet up into the air. See, your life is defined by not who you are, but what you're in. The community that you're in, the family that you're in, the church that you're in, and the God that you're in. What are you in? What are you in? It's not about God in your back pocket, whip him out when you need help. No, it's about you are, you are saturated and surrounded by God. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is my, he is in front of me, he is behind me, he is beside me, he is below me, he is above me, he is all around me. And he strengthens me for the battle. Ephesians 3, 8, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, Paul says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Do you know who they are? They're the demons of hell. The spiritual forces of wickedness. Ephesians chapter six talks about that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, the authorities in the heavenly places. You understand that there is a spiritual attack happening all the time. And if you're not in God, you are a sitting duck waiting to be attacked and cast down. But if you are in God, you have been given strength and authority over the authorities of that power, over the spiritual heavenly forces. You have authority in the name of Jesus. Men, 
in your homes. You have authority in the name of Jesus to cast out demons and to protect your family in Jesus' name. Ladies, you have authority in the name of Jesus to protect your children, to protect your household. Oh, yes, you can do all the things to fix it up and make it nice and make it an abode and a nice home for your family. But men, walk around it in the name of Jesus and declare this is God's house. These are God's children. This is God's home, and we belong to him. This is our place. This is his house. And, and, and I believe that there's a strength waiting for some of you to step into when you step into the reality that you are not just in the church, you are in God. And number three, having faith in a hostile world is I am in God because I am in Christ. How do I get in God? That's the most important thing. You got a great promise here in this passage, but how do you get there? You get there in Christ. Here's what he says, again, back to verse one, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Two things, what? Grace and peace. What are those things? Grace is the goodness of God to people who don't deserve it. We don't earn it. He gives it. Not just the forgiveness of sins, the goodness of God. The word grace is charis. It's the word for gift. That's what God does. He gives. He gives gifts. Gifts of the Spirit, gifts in life, gifts of himself. And you don't earn it. He gives it because it's grace. Now, peace is an interesting term because peace in the Hebrew word, not, it's not the Greek word I'm talking about, but the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And, and peace, shalom, is not the absence of conflict. It's a whole life experience. It's what everybody's searching for. It's what every person's, you know, burning the new age candles and worshiping the new age crystals are, are looking for. It's what everybody doing hot yoga is looking for. It's what everybody going to every therapist and every counselor on the earth is looking for. Wholeness, soundness. This is what shalom is. Are you ready for it? Write it down. Soundness in body, in mind, right relationship with people and God. How do you get in on that? You get in on that through Jesus, who brings us to the Father. There's no other way in. I can't do it for you. I can't, the church can't do it for you. Jesus does it. He brings you in, but Jesus places you in the church and he places you in God. What does Jesus say in John 10, verse seven? He says, truly I say to you, I am the door. I am the what? The door. In other words, if you wanna get in on this, you gotta come in through Jesus. I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and go out and find pasture, peace, shalom. 